This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Morning. How are we doing? Yes. I love that. We're here. We're present. Uh, as we were singing, I just want to encourage um, you guys along. Uh, I was listening to a podcast this, this week. Um, I just started listening to it. It's called Bema Discipleship, B-E-M-A. I'll actually reference it here again in a second. Uh, and he just talked about this, this thing called the lullaby effect, that when you become so uh, familiar with something, it just kind of lulls you to sleep. You, maybe you've heard of people who are like, I don't know, I got home, like I drove home, but I don't even remember like driving. It's because you're, you're just on autopilot that you've kind of, you're just doing the same thing um, over and over and over again. And I think that happens a lot in our relationship with God. It's this lullaby effect. We come to a Sunday and we sing and we do this thing, but we just don't take the moment to connect our minds and our hearts to the fact that God is present and among us, that when we're singing, we're not just singing to a room, but we're singing to a God who's, who's here with us, right? We're singing these songs to him, um, and so I just, I just think that sometimes we, we get in these ruts, we're lulled to sleep, and we forget uh, that, that, man, God is here. Like, it's not just us, it's, it's also the God of the, the world here with us. And when we open his word, like, we're, he's talking to us through his scripture. We're, we're in a conversation with God, or we're communing with, with God um, in, in that moment. And so I don't want us to just... Uh, you know, open the Bible and be like, all right, well, now it's the time that we do this and, and just do that. But like, let's open the scripture and say, like, okay, God, what, I'm going to lean in. What are you saying to me here? Because God's word is living and active. He is speaking to us through his word. And so his invitation to every one of us is, hey, hey lean in, right? Imagine that you're, you're sitting and you're having coffee with, I don't know, who, who's somebody that you'd be like, if I could have coffee with this person, like, this is the person I, I'm, now I'm just curious. Who, who's, the, who's the person you'd want to have coffee with? David Robinson. David, I was thinking David Robinson. Blake, maybe we can go together. The Admiral, oh my goodness. That's why I'm a Spurs fan. Oh, that just made my heart happy. Right, somebody else, why, who would you have coffee with? Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, oh man. Or Mike. Mobley? Aww. That was sweet, Trey. I know. I know. All right, this, that's enough. Enough of this. I don't want to get on anymore. But, it, like, can you imagine, like, sitting across the table from Denzel or David and, and then just not being present? Right? Like, they're talking and you're, like, just kind of zoned out, checked out. You know? Like, no, we'd be locked in here. It wouldn't matter what else is going on. We would be locked in. And, and yet... Because of this lullaby effect, because of, you know, the fact that we don't, we don't stop and realize that God is with us, like, we, we, that's, that's what we do with God. He's here, and yet we, we act like he's not here. And so I just want to, let's just take a second, just you and God, right, just let your mind and your heart and your soul recognize that God is with us. Just take a second, close your eyes if you want, whatever, just take a deep breath God, you are here with us. Let us hear your voice. Let us know your presence as we read your words to us, as we um, just ask what you're telling us and speaking to us, God, that we would know you more. May we not be lulled to sleep 
as the devil would like for us to be, but, but God, alert our senses and our mind to your presence. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. So we're going to be Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Before we get there, though, on occasion, Austin Life has hosted trivia nights. I mean, like nationally known and renowned trivia nights, right? Mark? One of our hosts, one of our famous, there you go, Mark. Yeah, let's get, I don't know if we're clapping for Mark or Trivia Nights. Stop it, stop it. Hey, we should get another one planned soon. We'll start working on it. All right, Trivia Nights. So I got a little trivia for you here, here gang. In the 1989 Disney hit, The Little Mermaid, we have a picture here. What did Scuttle, the lovable seagull friend of Ariel, what did Scuttle call the smoke pipe that Ariel found? Macy, you just watched Little Mermaid yesterday. Oh, man. Anybody? No, Claire, you have the answer. You can't, you can't. Anybody, anybody know what he called it? All right, let's put it up. The answer is a, oh, there it is. How do we, I'm a snarf blood. Is that what's happening? How do we get rid of, how do we get rid of me, Mike? And I'm just gonna step away. I'm gonna stand over here. A snarf blat. <laughs> Let's take a moment here, people. Come on. <laughs> I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm done. <sighs> Are we good? Are we okay? I'm not. I'm a little. I'm a little red right now. I feel a little hot. I feel a little flush. <laughs> It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I was just coming to show from here. It's called the Snarf Blat. The Snarf Blat. Does anybody know what Scuttle, I'm gonna stand right here for now. What Scuttle said the, the use of a Snarf Blat was? To play music, right? Give us the, the definition there. I'm gonna stand over here still. Used by humans to make fine Music. Yes, that is the snarf blat. Let's go ahead and clear that off. Perfect. Great. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem, right? If you were to go and grab a pipe and you were to try and play music from that pipe, how would that go? Bad. Great answer. Loved it. Nailed it. Hit it on the head, right? You go and you're like, I'm going to audition for the symphony. Let me pull out my snarf blat. You're not going to get the gig because it's not, in fact, an instrument to make music. It is a pipe, right, for looking at. Right, children? Yes. Right, so, so here's, the, here's the point of that. When we approach something or someone falsely, not, not according to what it truly is or who a person truly is, eventually we're going to diverge. Right? Eventually, if, if I think that something is this way, but in fact it's this way, right, eventually we're going to end up in the wrong, on the wrong side of things. If, if I think something's purpose is A, but in fact the purpose is B, then, then at some point right? There's going to be a friction. There's going to be conflict. If you pick a fight with Bruce Banner, right? This, this pipsqueak scientist, at some point when you don't recognize the power within, the Hulk is going to, to smash you and destroy you. 
Right, if you go to a, a group party and you're, you're chatting it up with someone, right, and she's cute, and you're like, oh, this has been a great night, right, and you, you, you lean in, and she leans in for a hug, and you lean in for a kiss because you're like, here we go, yes, and then, man, that might go real bad real fast, right? When you misinterpret the, the scenario, it, it can, right, at some point, when we misinterpret something for what it truly is, we're going to diverge, we're going, to, we're going to miss it. Most conflicts, here's your interpersonal human relationship marriage advice. Most conflicts exist, not because there's like this, I don't like you, but because I just misunderstood you, right? You texted this and I thought it was superficial and didn't mean anything, but apparently it meant a lot to you. And now there's conflict because we didn't interpret the text right. I didn't understand what was actually true about the scenario or the situation. And so when we fail to understand the truth of something or someone, the the point's gonna come when the truth is here and we're over here and now there is a gap, a separation. We're we're missing what is true about that, that object or that thing. And that's the problem that the Sadducees have with God. Ultimately, the Sadducees in Mark 12 are going to miss knowing God, because they think the truth of God is over here when in fact the truth of God is over here. They think the scriptures teach this about God when in fact the scriptures teach that about God. And so the Sadducees, although very religious, they they know their Old Testament scriptures, but they misinterpret the truth of the text And therefore when God is saying, lean in this way, they're leaning in this way, and there's a miss. And the same will be true of us as well. If we misinterpret the truth of God's text, we're gonna think that, man, we, I can do this, when in fact God's saying, no, no, you need to do that. And we're going to miss a connection and a communion with God that we're designed to have. If we think God, the character of God is, is over here, but in fact the character of God is over here, we're, we're not truly going to know God as well as we can because God's over here, not over here. And so the same problems that the Sadducees run into today, we can run into as well if we miss the truth of who God really is. So let's look at it. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. It says, and Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. So the Sadducees are Jews. They're very religious, but they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in an afterlife. They believe that this is the life you live. You make the most of it. You do good, you get good, but then after we all die, that's it. They don't believe in an afterlife. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So this is a leveret law that if, if a man marries a woman and before they have children, the man dies, then the man's brother is expected by law to marry his dead brother's widow. And that they would then continue the dead brother's lineage in his place. Does that make sense? So this is a law according to Deuteronomy. And so the Sadducees are thinking, okay, Jesus believes in the resurrection. 
here's a, here's a scenario. Let's give him this, let's give him this scenario because this ultimately will trip him up. Like this is, they're still trying to catch him. They're still trying to trick Jesus and dupe him and make him look stupid and discount his ministry. And so they're like, here's a scenario that according to the Bible, if the resurrection is real, makes no sense. That's what they're thinking. So they say, Jesus, right? A man marries a woman, he dies, so his brother is supposed to raise up offspring for him. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. So then the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. Brother one, no children. Brother two marries, no children. Brother three marries, no children. Four, five, six, seven. All seven brothers marry this woman and none of them have children. Here's where they think they're gonna catch him. Verse, 20, verse 23, in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? Which one of the seven? Like, are they just, are they gonna draw rocks? She married all of them. Now in the resurrection, well, who is she married to? Brother one, brother two, does she just get to pick which was the nicest? Why, does she just get to pick which one she clicked with the most, Jesus? What are you gonna do in the resurrection? According to the Bible, she is supposed to marry each of these brothers, according to the Levi law. So now what? In the resurrection, does she have seven husbands? How does this work, Jesus? So they're thinking, Jesus, this whole resurrection idea, it breaks down. Like it's not possible, right? How, how, how is she going to have seven husbands? So she, they're thinking, gee, they're going to trap Jesus here. They got him. It doesn't make sense. It's impossible. So Jesus responds, verse 24, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Hey boys, it's not that your illustration is stupid, which it is. It's that you don't understand the truth of God's word and you don't understand the truth of God's power. Their, their miss of God, their breakdown of knowing God is not because they have a stupid illustration. Although, let's be honest, it's a dumb hypothetical. They're just trying to be ridiculous in this. Where they miss God is that they don't understand the truth of his word and they don't understand his power. If we don't understand the truth of God's word, we, we can't know God. And if we don't understand his power, well then at some level we're gonna limit him. And there's only so much he can do. So the first problem that they run into that, that you and I could run into as well is they misunderstand the truth of scripture. In this, in this context, right, they would have been talking about the Old Testament. They've been talking, for, but for us now, we, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Any point of the Bible, though, that's the scriptures, the word of God. And God has given us the Bible. He's given us his word. He wrote us his letters through human hands so that we could know God and know how to live in relationship with him. God gave us his word so that we could know him and know how to live in relationship with him. But if we misinterpret his text, 
we'll never fully know God, nor will we know how to live in relationship with him. And so the, the Sadducees here, they're misinterpreting the text of God. They're, they're misunderstanding what God has written to them. And so, so they're missing God altogether. Let's imagine that, that a loved one of yours sends you a map. And it's, it's giving you directions to get to your, your loved one, right? And so you get the map and you look at it, right? And you look at the map and you're thinking, okay, the, I'm in the middle here and the arrow is going to point south, right? To what appears to you to be ocean waves, so I need to go south to the beach. That's where my loved one is. But if in fact, we're reading the map wrong and misinterpreting it, and if we just turn it around, it's actually pointing north to the mountains. We thought that was the ocean waves, but in fact it was mountains. And we were just reading it wrong. And if we look at it from a different perspective, right? So looking at the same map, if we misinterpret it, will lead us in the wrong direction of where we're trying to get. And so Jesus is saying, you're, you're looking at the text, but you're misinterpreting the truth of it. You read it and think God's saying he's over here, but in fact God is telling you he's over here. And if we don't understand the truth of God's word, then we're going to miss God altogether. That was the first problem that the Sadducees ran into. Psalm 119, 105, it says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Right? God's word is given to you and me as a lamp and a light on our path. Where is it leading us to? John chapter 5 and verse 39 through 40. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The, the scriptures are a light and a lamp leading us to life. Where is it ultimately leading us to? To Jesus. Right, the scriptures point us to knowing God. But if we misinterpret the text, we might think, oh, it's telling me to go south, when in fact it was telling me to go north. And we'll miss God altogether. There's, there's multiple reasons why I think we misunderstand the, the scriptures. One of them is we, we just don't spend time. We, we just don't spend time in, in the scriptures. We, we, we wonder, man, why does this not make sense to me? Why don't I understand it? When if we just looked at a, at, a, at a bar chart, bar charts, right? Is that the ones with the, the okay, that's a line, okay. A bar chart, and we were to just input the amount of time that we spent reading or thinking on the Bible versus the amount of time where something else is communicating to us, Netflix, social media, people, TV, internet ads, right? So if we just say, okay, what, is, what, what am I inputting? And we just measured it next to each other. The amount of time I'm inputting the Bible versus the amount of time I'm inputting something the world is speaking to me. I don't have to go further into that. We all know how lopsided that's going to be. And then we wonder, man, why can't I understand the scripture? 
Why am I perhaps misinterpreting the, the, the truth of this? Well, in large part, because we are flooding our brain with so many other voices and messages at the neglect of flooding our brain with the voice and message of God. It's, it's a sheer, sheer numbers game. Right, it's just, it's just numbers. How do you learn a language? You could learn a language without ever going to class. You just immerse yourself in it and eventually you start to learn it, right? Because you immerse yourself in that language. But we don't immerse ourselves with the words of God. And then we wonder, man, why? I don't know, why, why do I not understand it? Right, I'm, I'm guilty as much as anybody else. Right, you can ask Stephanie, I'm like, baby, you gotta help me get up in the morning. Because once my day gets going, it's so hard for me to slow down. It's so hard for me to hit the brakes and go, oh, let me put everything else to the side because now I'm already in productivity mode. You know what I'm saying? And so we've got to spend time in here. That's one reason why we don't understand the truth of the text. Another reason, and this is where the Sadducees came into a problem, is that we read truth into the Bible rather than letting the Bible tell us what is true. We take our context, our culture, our situations, our logic, our reasoning, and we go, well, if this makes sense to me, then that's what the Bible must mean. Rather than letting the Bible tell me what is true and what makes sense. So in this case, right, the Sadducees, there's not a whole lot about the resurrection in the Old Testament. There's certainly not detail as to what the resurrection looks like. And so they're going, okay, if there is a resurrection in which people interact with each other, the way I understand human interaction today is that there's, there's marriage, right? There's me and you, or we get married, or they get married, or whatever, or, you know, husband dies, second brother comes in, you know. So since that's how human relationships work here, then that must be how they would work in heaven in the resurrection. Right? They're reading into the text. They're taking truth from their world and saying, this must be the truth of Scripture because the Bible doesn't explicitly tell me. That, that's called eisegesis. If you ever hear that word, ice into. So it's reading a study into the text rather than the text exegesis telling me. Does it make sense? So that's how they're applying the truth of the scripture. We do that today. We do the same. We take what the Bible says about sexuality and we go, man, well, this is how I feel. This is what feels true to me. This is what seems true to everyone else around me. Therefore, these verses about sexuality, you know, th they must mean this. That must be how we interpret the truth of Scripture. Because that's what makes sense to me. That's how, I, that's how I feel. That we're reading into the text rather than the text telling us what is true. That's what the Sadducees were doing. Another one, personal freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set me free. Okay, well what does freedom mean to me? Well freedom means I can, I can do whatever I want. So therefore, I read that into the Bible and I apply, I interpret the Bible based off of what 
I deem to be true in my life rather than the Bible telling me what is freedom. Freedom to me means no barriers or boundaries, right? So then I've got to read the Bible thinking there can't be barriers or boundaries when in fact the Bible says actually barriers and boundaries keep you safe and alive, thus giving you more freedom. So when we come to the text, we've got to come to the text and say, okay, God, what did you mean here? If we go to an art gallery and there's a painting on the wall, all of us can come up with our own interpretation. But let's be honest, the only one who gets to actually interpret the painting is who? The artist. We're just observers. So I can come to the Bible and we can all sit down and go, well, it means this to me and it means this to me and it means this to me. But the only meaning that actually matters is what it means to God. And so our job is to interpret and say, okay, God, what do you mean by this? What do you mean when you say this to a first century Middle Eastern culture? Not that the truth isn't true for us today, but we have to first know what it meant there and then apply it to our life. We don't get to say what is true for that. I mentioned the Bama podcast um, and, and I, I encourage you to, to listen to it. Um, I've listened to two episodes thus far and it has just floored me and is, is amazing. Um, the first episode talked about Genesis 1. And let me ask you this. When, when does your day start? Somebody tell me when your day starts. Uh, okay, I heard 4 a.m. for starter. Who said, wow, we, that is, oh, that hurts. Like that just made my, my stomach cringe a little bit. Uh, 4 a.m., okay. What would you say? When your kids tell you the day starting. Uh-huh. 7? 7, 7 a.m.? Get to, okay. Anybody else? When's your day start? 5.30. 5.30? Gosh, anything before 6 is, I think it's ungodly. I think it's in the scripture somewhere. So check this out. Genesis 1. If you read the Genesis 1 creative narrative, you're going to see this pattern. Verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The pattern you see in Genesis 1 is that there was evening and then morning in the first day. The, the Jewish Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. The, the day for a Jewish culture is that the day begins at sundown, not sunup. Why? Because God wanted to teach us that our worth is not in our production, but in who we are. The day begins with rest and with being in his presence not work and doing for his favor. You see, now when I read about days from my Western American worldview, the day starts when the sun goes up. But when I read it according to what is actually taught through a historical lens according to the Bible, and the day starts at evening, well, why would that be the case? Well, because the world doesn't revolve around me, but but I've got to understand what God is teaching me. And God is teaching me that my value and worth is in who he says I am, not in what I accomplish for him. That my value and worth is in being in communion with him, not doing for him. Totally rocked me. 
But that's the difference in reading into the interpretation of the Bible versus letting the Bible tell me what is true. Now, we've got a long history of learning, right? I, I just learned that this week. I've read Genesis 1, I don't know how many times, right? So it's not like we're going to get it all right away, but that is our objective, is to say, okay, God, what are you telling me, not what am I telling you is true? And that's where the Sadducees went wrong. They interpreted the resurrection based on their human logic, what made sense to them, rather than what made sense according to God. And sometimes God doesn't tell us. Sometimes he leaves this gap and this mystery. Like here, right? Jesus, all he says is when he tells them, you know, is this not the reason you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So Jesus gives us some more truth, some more insight into what heaven will be like. There's not going to be marriage. Right? I am not going to be married to Stephanie in heaven. But does that mean that we won't have a relationship? No. I would be reading into the text at that point to conclude, okay, well, we won't know each other. We won't have a relationship. It just says that we won't be given in marriage like the angels aren't given in marriage. Does this say that I'm going to be an angel? No. It just says I'm not going to be given in marriage like the angels aren't given in marriage. So we've got to learn to read the Bible for what God is telling us and not read into it. Because once we start reading into it, we give it truth and meaning. We say, man, this is what it's going to be like when God's like, no, no, no. It was like this. And we start to diverge from knowing God. That was their, that was their first problem. They didn't know the truth of the scripture. They interpreted it wrongly. The second problem is that they didn't trust the power of God. Right? He says, you, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For the Sadducees, they'd never seen anyone raised from the dead. To this point, right, Jesus was, hadn't, you know, hadn't been crucified and risen. They, they hadn't seen anyone in heaven, right? So it was all conjecture. There's not a, a lot in the Old Testament about the resurrection in heaven. And, and, and so for their human minds, they're like, this, this isn't possible, and so they've limited what God is able to do. They don't trust God as the God who can do anything where nothing is impossible. For them, they've put God in a box. And, and we all tend to do the same. Is God able to heal this relationship? I don't know, it's too far gone. The wounds are too deep. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but he certainly is able. Is God able to heal this cancer? Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but he certainly is able. See, when, when the Sadducees didn't trust the power of God, they limited what was possible by him. The resurrection just didn't make sense. It was impossible. And so they didn't trust God when it comes to the resurrection. If we limit the power of God, there's going to be parts of our lives where we don't trust him with it. Because we, we don't actually believe that he's able to work good in this situation. We don't ask God for healing because deep down we don't actually believe he's able to heal. 
We don't ask God to do the miraculous, to bring our family members to him because we just just don't, don't know that he's able. If we don't trust that all things are possible with God, we will put a ceiling and our faith will hit that ceiling and stop. And if we don't trust that all things are possible, why would we ever trust the message of the gospel? Why would we ever trust that there's a God who created us for a relationship with him? But, but we rebelled against him. We went our own way. We, we separated that. We built this wall of sin in between us and God. Why would we ever trust that God in his power stepped down to earth to tear down that wall of sin? That Jesus in his perfect life lived the life that, that you and I were supposed to live. You and I, we're expected to be perfect. To have a relationship with God depends heavily on what you and I do. Right? For you and I to have a relationship with God, it is all about what you and I do. Problem is, none of us have done it right. Which puts us in the situation we're in. We need help. We need someone to do it right for us. To take the test for us and pass. Jesus does that for us. But now we've got to We've got to pay the debt. If I get caught speeding and I get a ticket, I, I can't just expect the judge, ah, whatever, or someone else to do it. I've got to pay the debt. So now what do I do with my debt against God because of my sin? Well, if I don't trust the power of God, then I'm not going to trust that Jesus dying on the cross was enough, well, it was punishment enough for my sin. I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to think that I have to earn it. I have to work it. I have to do good. I have to merit God's favor. If I don't trust the power of God, I'm not going to believe that, that Jesus actually rose from the dead so that he could lead anyone and everyone to eternal life by faith in him. I'm not going to believe that. Because that, that's, let's be honest, that's crazy. That's fairy tale talk. If I don't believe that God really can do anything, I'm not going to believe on paper the message of the gospel. It, it's a fairy tale. But if God really can do anything, all right, cool, that can fit within that. Why not? Yeah, he can forgive my sins. He can take my brokenness. He can redeem and restore the situation. He can make what is evil and wrong. He can flip it and make it good because nothing is impossible for God. But see, the Sadducees, they just, they couldn't, they couldn't, couldn't believe that. And so Jesus even tells them, speaks from, from what made sense to them. As for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? Not I was, but I am presently. God told Moses that hundreds of years after these men were alive. Why would he say present tense, I am the God of these men if they were dead? But in fact, they're not dead. He's the God of the living. He rose them from the dead. Now, yeah, that doesn't make sense to us here. But if God can do all things, sure, he can do that. He's able. So do you trust the power of God? If we don't trust his power, we're going to hold back in faith. 
we don't trust that he's able, we won't reach out to touch him. Like the woman bleeding for 12 years who by faith reached out to touch the robe of Jesus. If we don't think he's able, we won't reach out. If we don't think he's able to redeem, we won't call out to him. We won't humble ourselves and trust that he's able to lift us up. There's many reasons why we can miss God. His desire for you and I is to have an intimate relationship with him. Like, more than we can fathom. We've got to know his word. Because without knowing his scriptures, we can't know him. We'll be very limited. Or we'll think he's over here when in fact he tells us he's over here. We've got to trust his power that he is able to do all things. Because if we don't believe he is able, we won't surrender to him in faith. If I don't believe that he'll, he'll catch me when I fall, I'm going to try to walk it in my own strength and do it my own way. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he's able? Do you trust that all things are possible? Is there anywhere where you're, you're holding on to something and you're just thinking, I know what God says to do to surrender to him, but I, I, I can't? We'll, we'll, we'll miss him. We'll miss him. Do you know in your soul that, and we just, we don't know his scriptures, we don't know his word, we don't spend time here. His invitation is for you to find life in him. That's, that's his desire, so you to find life in his presence. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.